Hello, I'm Andrew Dodd. This is Change Agents, a series about change and the people who make it happen. Today, the creation of the National Women's Football League. At times, people were ignorant. At times, people did not care. But I can tell you, 90% of the people that watch a women's game walk away and go, geez, that was great. If a woman chooses to play football, AFL football, it's her right. Women today can take it much, much further. They can become professional athletes and they can make a career and a decent living out of it. Women have been playing Australian rules football at either a club or state level for close to 100 years. In 2017, eight AFL teams from five states will line up in the National Women's League. This didn't just happen. It's the result of determined lobbying, a change of culture and plenty of evidence that lots and lots of women want to play and can play to a very high standard. Today we meet two people who've been driving the development of the National Women's League. Susan Alberti is the Vice President of the Western Bulldogs and a financial supporter of the game. And Debbie Lee is a highly decorated career-long footballer with over 300 games to her name. She now works with the women's team at the Melbourne Football Club. They both have a mission, to make women's football more visible, unlike the way Debbie Lee remembers playing it as a child. When I was a youngster, I didn't feel comfortable that I played footy. So when I was kicking the footy around in Parkstone Avenue as a, a grade six, in grade six, it was funny, every time a car came around the corner, I'd hide in the bushes. Not because no one told me I couldn't play footy, I didn't feel comfortable. And I, didn't, I, I had a reflection about that probably two years ago, why I was doing that, and it's quite clear to me now. So my drive to come from, and when I was in year 11, playing, um, coming up to the grand final, I didn't tell any of my friends that I wanted to play, or I was playing. So... I didn't want any other young person to feel that they didn't have, you know, the right or they didn't feel comfortable in playing footy. So that what really drove me. Sue, is that something you can identify with? Is that um, a feeling that you had as a as a young footballer? Mm. I was always playing um, footy in the backyard with my brother, and my father was an umpire, and my brother was an umpire, and I think all we ever talked about around the kitchen table was football. So one thing I do think I can say with the surety is that I do understand the rules of the game, having had it, my father teaching me all about the rules of the game. But I was very frustrated, always wanted to play the game myself. So as a cheer squads member, we formed our own footy team, the cheer squad, but it was men and women. And uh, on a Sunday afternoon, we used to play against one another. And um, I guess that's where I got my footy practice from and my footy hit, playing footy, but I had to stop playing because I was getting belted around too much by the men. And um, women don't want to be better than men. They just, they're different. Women are different to men. And of course, I was getting knocked around far too much. And Dad said, enough is enough. You better hang up your boots. And at 15, I did. And it broke my heart. And and now look what's happened. Debbie, you talk there about hiding in the bushes when people Mm. saw you playing football. What was going on? Was it a sense of shame or was it feeling that you're excluded, that you weren't legitimate as a footballer? I think it was, I didn't see myself in footy. 
there was no reflection of girls mm. in footy. Mm. And and that's what's the great thing now. You go to the footy, you see females umpires, you see female spectators, you see to a degree we've had a couple of female coaches. Mm-hmm. I, as a young, young child, I didn't see myself reflected in the sport. And I think also people's, it, it wasn't common, I think people's reactions. You know, I went to primary school and I wasn't able to play on the oval let alone kick a footy. So it was the way, I guess, society perceived women in sport and women not really wasn't the cool thing to do to pick up a footy because it was a male-dominated sport. But it's really interesting. I attended two convent schools growing up and nuns certainly didn't appreciate uh, VFL, AFL football. So I could imagine they've all gone to God now. But um, my old school has actually now got two teams and they're also involved in umpiring. So haven't times changed? But uh, it's just amazing. It should be the standard, actually, Debbie. It should be the standard. It will be the standard. Mm. Be the norm. Finding ways in which to get yourself reflected in the sport has been a bit of a a theme throughout your career. In fact, a lot of work you've done has been raising the media profile of football. Mm. And you did something very interesting in 2002 around this reality TV show called The Club, which was based on a team called The Hammerheads, where you tried to break in to this TV show and join a male football team. What happened? That's exactly the reason why I did it. And I think people at the time didn't, un- even people within the VWL community, didn't understand what the purpose of me being involved in the Hamheads and the club, the reality TV show. And it was clearly to raise the profile to start conversations that women can play footy. And, I, and it was interesting because at the time, AFL Vic, there was a loophole in their rules. And they were very worried that I could have actually played uh, in a, in a competition against the men. I didn't choose to do that because, back to Sue's point, it wasn't about me trying to be better than men or tackle the men. It was trying to say women love their footy as much as the guys and let's give them a platform where they can play in an environment that is safe and gives them the opportunity to enjoy footy as much as um, their male counterparts. So Hammerheads was really interesting, really scary time. I was a lot younger than what I am now. There was no media training. It was a live show on a Thursday night. And I, I had no idea um, what questions or how they were going to position me. But in the end, I think that was maybe the start of some conversations. Mm. And raising the profile of women's football has been this ongoing battle, hasn't it, where you've tried to find ways of becoming noticed by the establishment and by general spectators. And there have been some very creative ways in which that's been done over the years but a relentless task, I imagine. Yes, and and I think um, having Sue when she joined the VWFL, the women's footy journey, that's what Sue's great at. Sue's great at supporting girls and women and administrators in a genuine sense, but she has this ability to also challenge when, when required. She's respected, she's credible, and she also creates a platform for the conversation to go to another level and that's I think when we first met Sue um, I think that's you know she obviously gave me some guidance which was very useful but also decided to jump on board and I think has really um, created this other conversation that's got to another level. So Sue in 2004 you went to the Western Bulldogs became a director Mm -hmm. and then through that is that where you really became more interested in women's football? No I've always been interested for the last 50 odd years I've been interested but I've haven't been able to progress anything and it was getting to know Debbie and seeing the conviction she had 
and how much she wanted to make this actually happen. And I knew it was a good thing to do. Uh, and, uh, and it was possible for me to be able to support Debbie. But just back to the Western Bulldogs, I mean, we have a nine-member board. And from the top down, we had four women on our board. One has just retired uh, after 12 years. So we're the only team in the whole of the AFL who have three women on their board out of nine. So top down, we're very great respect to women. And we've had great support for women in... The Bulldogs have given great support to women in football ever since I've been involved. But I suspect that didn't just happen. That took a little bit of doing on your oh, part. And it can be very persuasive, I can. But, uh, so how do you do that? How do you make a... A board accept the need to embrace having women on the board? Well, I think it was because when I was uh, asked to join the board, I was given a very big job, and that was to find $32 million or help find $32 million for the redevelopment of the Witten Oval. And I guess they th- maybe they thought at the time, well, I know there were many naysayers who said it couldn't be done, wouldn't be done. Well, I was very happy to prove them wrong. So I guess the credibility grew from there. Well, she... She not only says things, she can do things. But then I slowly leaked out my interest in women's football, my involvement with VWFL when I went to one of their games and saw how things were really tough for them, and I knew I could help them out. You're talking about, I think, May 2008. The Women's League is cash-strapped, mm-hmm. and you stepped in with a very generous donation. I mm-hmm. think I'm right in saying that this reduced you to tears when, yes, Deb, yeah, when you received yeah. this funding. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a grand final, one of the finals, and I asked, um, approached Sue to be the guest speaker. And at the conclusion of the of the um, Sue's speech, she said, I'd like to make a donation. And here I am thinking, oh, this is great. It'll be $500, a bit, $1,000, might be a couple of movie tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it was $25,000. And and here was a league who it was the biggest donation, either through sponsorship or whatever that we'd ever receive. She gave us more than the state body had ever invested into women's footy. That's back in 2008. And what that did is that enabled, we were a bunch of volunteers, we were doing our best, but what it enabled us to do is um, employ a part-time football operations manager, which is Jess Smith, and mm-hmm. Jess Smith is still in the role and she's working at AFL Victoria now. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it, was a, it was a milestone. I think that was one of, if you look at certain milestones in footy, I think that was a key milestone mm-hmm. um, for us to move forward. 2008 was a big year in another sense. This is the year that you took on Sam Newman, Mm -hmm. Channel 9, the Mm -hmm. footy show, Mm -hmm. and sued successfully for defamation. Mm -hmm. What happened? Well, it's a pity I wasn't asked about my knowledge of football um, at that time. Uh, I really don't want to talk too much about the, the settlement or what that was all about because that's all done and dusted. But I guess it lifted the profile. Not that I set out to do that. I just set out to ensure that respect is shown to both men and women, and it was not being shown at the time. So um, that's really the reason why I took that on, you know, equal respectful, you know, treatment to nothing more, nothing less. Well, if you don't mind, I want to just briefly explain what happened. This is after Sam Newman had um, danced around and sexually harassed a mannequin with Mm -hmm. Caroline Wilson's Mm -hmm. face stapled Mm -hmm. to it. And um, then a number of women directors in clubs wrote a letter complaining Mm -hmm. about this, and Mm -hmm. you were given short shrift by Channel 9, Mm Some people on the program had called you liars and hypocrites. Mm-hmm. It was just appalling treatment. Well, it was absolutely unacceptable and I wasn't going to take that lying down. So um, I guess I was pretty courageous to do it, but to, it was enough that 
there was too much said. And I felt that, and as I said, I was, uh, they cast dispersions upon me, which were truly, they were not correct. And I wasn't going to let that happen. And um, I was, I just personally, I'm a person that shows respect to people. So if you talk about how change happens, at some point where there is a, uh, a dominant way in which something is being done, mm-hmm. does somebody have to take it on and challenge it and call it for what it is? Is that what was required? Was this an important part of changing the culture of football? Well, I found it absolutely unacceptable and I wasn't going to accept it. And I had to do something about it, even though I was warned by so many people, warned off by the establishment. I was stalked. I was harassed. I was threatened. But there was a much more important issue at stake here. It was about respecting women and respecting men as well. I give respect and I expect respect. At the time when I took this on, I was suffering with cancer. So I was having a battle for my life at the same time as taking this on. And I never thought I'd get to the end of it because it was taking a lot out of me. What effect did it have on the commission? On the AFL? On the culture of footy. I think the AFL did sit up and and, and, um, listen and observe as to what was going on. And uh, I think it was really changing. The culture was changing at that time. It's taken a while, but it's happened and it continues the culture to change. And I think in our present CEO, who I might add is a breath of fresh air when it comes to women, um, he sees this, the need for equity and fairness with men and women. And he's, I mean, it, it, it's evidenced by what's happening with the National Women's League. Yeah. One of the early ambitions of the Women's League or the, or the women playing football around Victoria and around Australia was to develop curtain raiser matches mm-hmm. and get yourselves seen in front of mm-hmm. larger audiences. Mm-hmm. How did you go about getting the AFL and other leagues to accept the idea that curtain raisers, exhibition matches were a good idea? Well, I can tell you the exhibition series or the handsome Hardeman Cup, which is what we play for and that's coming up this Saturday, I should say, I went into the AFL, Melbourne Footy Club went into the AFL probably in 2011 and we said, we think that we'd like to be the first AFL club that has a women's team and we think it's really important that women wear AFL club jumpers, mm. et cetera, et cetera. We walked out of that meeting and there wasn't much You're progress. You're talking Melbourne, aren't you? Melbourne Footy yeah, Club. Melbourne Footy yeah. Club, Trailblazers. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we, we started, we, we went in with, with the view, you know, I went internally to my to Melbourne Footy Club and said, look, you know, this is a, this is what we need to do, and thankfully at the time it was Cam Swab at the time um, said, "Yep, yeah, let's go into the AFL and and see." And um, I, I remember there was uh, executives in the room, and I remember there was managers in the room, and and they looked at me as if to you know sort mm. of say, "What what are you talking about?" That was 2011, 2013. The Bulldogs in Melbourne um, had the exhibition match, or the Handsome Cup. Interesting enough, though, it was organised by Melbourne. So the draft wasn't an AFL event. Melbourne Footy Club organised it. So that I'm just giving you that an example as to where the buy-in came. Mm. And I think the AFL, it wasn't a place of, you know, I don't want to, this is not an excuse, but I think the AFL, I just didn't realise what Sue and I realised, that these women can play. When you've got 320,000 women playing the game plus now in Australia, it's a no-brainer. Exactly. Mm. So yeah. it, 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 what happened, they just needed to see it. Mm. And often, and you'd be the same, Sue, when people come to the footy and they haven't seen a game, 
they say things like, and it's, it's coming from a good place, but they say things like, geez, the girls are tough. Geez, mm-hmm. they tackle. Geez, they're fit. And, and it's just, yes, they are dedicated. They are athletes. Footy is a physical game and they're serious about their footy. Mm. So it has been a journey, but mm. we needed the AFL leadership to come on board. So what happened between 2011 and 2013 to get them to change their minds to allow it to happen? They got lots of invitations to come along to final series and to, to show them. They had to see it. Uh, it's easy for Sue and I to walk into a room because we've seen it. We've seen the passion. Mm. You know, Sue's built some great relationships with the girls they, and stories. And you, you can, you can, we know it. We see it all the time. Mm. But until you see that, then you get it. So you knew at that point that you were actually going about an active process of changing the minds of the men in the commission mm. To mm. get them to see what you could see. Yes, but I think also, Debbie, that televised match last year really put women's football on the map. I mean, they had higher ratings than I think Port Adelaide and and Essendon, Essendon. that weekend. That's right. That really, I think, was the icing on the cake. It was that televised match and how the television stations saw the merit and and women's role in football and how this is a good thing. And they went away and said, "Wow, look at the ratings." We've got to look at this and we'll look what's happening. That's right. So, mm. again, it's that, that would be another milestone in terms of where, where the landscape of women's football is at, at the moment. Mm. But um, certainly we had to convince them. But whether well, they, you know... How, how did you convince them to televise the match? Well, I think... We did go online and did do a bit of lobbying, I think, Debbie. I yeah, think we, we did, did. We did. Yeah. Um, so tell us about that. How did you do the lobbying to make it happen? Well, I guess, I guess it was just... Um, Showing the the stats, the stats were the stats. There was, you know, the AFL could not ignore that the fastest growing participation was women in their business. In the whole of Australia, in, in sport. their business. I remember when I came on board, there were about sixty thousand women playing AFL, and now there's over three hundred and twenty, and that's about six months old. That data, so I guess I'm wrong there too. Yeah. So, and how many in Victoria? About twenty thousand. Yeah, sure. There's, there's just. Yeah, unbelievable the numbers now. Yeah. Um, there'd be over half a million. So at some point, pushing. at some point, you decided we want this televised, and you got together as a group, did you, and plan out a strategy on how you're going to make that televised Not event really. happen? Everything was happening so quickly. We just bang, it was on that was going to be televised. So we then we got on social media and petitioned Foxtel and yeah. other stations. So who, who said yes to it? Was it Channel 7 thing, a Foxtel thing? What? Seven. Yeah, it was Channel Channel 7 in the end. So was it an executive at 7 that said, mm. we'll yes. do it? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And they were pleasantly surprised. They really were. They, I think they went into it saying, okay, we'll, we'll see we'll how give this it a goes. Go. We'll see how this goes. Okay, yeah. the numbers stack up. They found um, executives knew what the game could do. They had this product that was growing rapidly that mm-hmm. hadn't, you know, Auskick numbers were just 1% growth. This growth was outstanding. And they thought, oh, well, we'll see how it goes. And they were pleasantly surprised. They outrated one of the AFL matches. And just taking it to another level too, I mean, sponsorship. I've been watching, observing sponsors getting on board, people that have never been involved in AFL football before. I know from my own perspective at my club, they're lining up the sponsors. Mm. It's a no-brainer. Membership, media, sponsorship, um, you know, membership at your own club. I mean, it's 50% of the attendees are women. I think you're absolutely right about the televised match last year. That Mm. changed a lot of people's minds and perceptions about women's Mm. football, and it was gobsmackingly Mm. good as a game. It Mm -hmm. was incredibly fast. Uh, But what I want to know is, 
Was that in itself a catalyst for making the National Women's League come around faster? Or was that already in train before that Mm -hmm. televised match? I think it was already in train. Mm. It was. um, Because Gillen did come out some years ago. Because it was originally going to be 2020 Mm. was when we're going to have a national competition. Did that speed the process up and bring it forward three years? I I think it would have had some impact on Gillen saying, okay, we can do this in 2017. But But his announcement was prior to... um, you know, the announcement of the competition was prior to the broadcast. But I think Gillen was very wise. He's a visionary too. He could see what it could do for our game. And I don't mm. think he wanted to wait till 2020. And I think even when he went to the board, I think they were saying, whoa, slow down a bit. You're doing this too quickly. But he knew in his own mind that this was something that we should be doing. Mm. And you can see now what's happened. And it's just got so much publicity and support. And All right, let's go yeah. back a step. Yes. How did you make the National Women's League happen? Who came up with the idea? Who went to who? What did they say? How did it happen? Oh, I think it's been a progression of things. Debbie, maybe you can touch yeah, on that. It goes back to us approaching the AFL and saying, you know, um, we want to have a women's footy team. Melbourne Footy Club want to have a women's footy team. We spoke to the Western Bulldogs. They've been supportive. They they were, um, it was the home of women's footy in Victoria there for a while. And also they um, were a partner of the Victorian Women's Footy League. So I guess it was driven by clubs. It's driven by clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, first and foremost, Melbourne going in saying, hey, we, we want to be a club that has a women's team. Mm. We need you guys to make that happen. We went to the Western Bulldogs because we knew the Western Bulldogs. We knew we had Sue there and we knew that it would be a genuine, authentic approach. Mm. And I think that's really important. So the girls were treated the same as the guys whether it was the Bulldogs guys or the Melbourne mm. guys, everyone is equal athlete. And the men and women complement each other. I mean, I was at a luncheon where I hosted for them last year. We brought them together, the two teams, male and female. I just sat there like a proud mother listening to them mm. talking strategy about the game that was coming up. And I thought, we complement each other. There's no competition, men versus women. Mm. It's just complementing each mm. other. So it's just uh, oh, it's well, remarkable. So within the clubs then... Uh, you talk about Melbourne where you're, you've been community manager and you've now got other roles. Did you have to fight a battle within the club to get the club to come up with the idea of saying, let's go to the AFL with an idea for a women's league? I guess it wasn't fighting. It, was, it goes back to the exposure. It goes back to giving people an understanding mm. of um, what women's football is, what the landscape was and why it was important to actually drive this strategy. And I was very fortunate that I have a manager, Jim Watt, who's very strong and, and really supported, you know, this idea. And then at the time, Cam Swab, and now Peter Jackson has really got behind it. But there had to be some convincing. Yeah. Let's not pretend mm-hmm. that there's, you know, anywhere we went, there was convincing. Right. And it wasn't yes. from, at times, people were ignorant. At times, people just didn't know. At times, people did not care. But I can tell you 90% of the people that watch a women's game walk away and go, geez, that was great. So it was brought forward from 2020 to 2017, but at the same time there was a move to curtail it so that it wasn't the 10 teams that Gillen McLaughlin wanted, it was just the eight that the women behind the game wanted. We can explain that though because it's about um, having good talent, enough talent Amongst those eight teams, I think Debbie can touch on that more than me because being an ex-footballer and knowing more about the talent, but we had to ensure that we got it right, didn't we, Debbie? That yeah. we, we had a 
good enough talent in those teams rather than spreading it too thin in the early days. That's right. So Sue and I are both on the uh, AFL Women's Advisory Board and the AFL presented a paper which sort of was skewed to 10 teams. And we were a little bit nervous around that just because, the, as Sue said, the talent isn't as great in every state. So Western Australia and Victoria have the greatest talent mm. and the emerging states, uh, Sydney and, and even Brisbane to mm. a degree, don't. Um, and Adelaide have fallen away a little bit. So but w- what we had to be careful of too is um, ensuring that the product that we produced was a good one. Mm. Because people are going to be sceptical of women playing footy. So we want to make sure that the program and what we put out as a product is it was great. Mm. So to the AFL's credit, uh, the advisory group were very strong on uh, eight teams. And uh, as a result, we, we got that one through, didn't we, Sue? And, of course, the other teams that uh, applied, and um, I have to say the submissions were pretty fierce. They oh, all fantastic. wanted a licence. They've got provisional licences and they've got certain things to do throughout the next 12 months to then get their licence. But the, the other view on why there should be 10 was to prevent Fremantle dominating the competition because they effectively are a state team in a very dominant state. Mm. And the idea was that by having 10 teams, you would have to have a second Western Australian team and that would dilute mm. the pool. So it was a good argument on the other side (laughs) too. The AFL have done really well in Mm. terms of what they've done. So if you look at the marquee players that have been uh, appointed to the AFL clubs, a lot of them come out of um, Western Australia. So you've got two marquee players in GWS. Chelsea Randall's gone to Adelaide. Um, So has Gibbo. So they've moved some of that talent and that will continue to move. Mm. Um, I know there's a few girls possibly going up, uh, going across to Sydney as well. Mm. So they've really concentrated on moving some of that talent so it doesn't become dominated by Western Australia. You are one team smashing the other. That's we right. We want to make sure that's pretty even, mm. the competition, because we've, we're working from ground up and we want to get it right. That's what's so important to us. What does it take to make a national women's league in a sport that has been so male-dominated for so long? What are the attributes required to make that happen? Determination would, mm. would be... We've never given up, have we, that, Debbie? I mean, you, you look at um, Sue's story before about the whole Channel Island thing. I mean, she, uh, ill health, and she's still... You know, that's just a true mm. testament of what Sue, Sue is. Yeah, and, but we both believe in what we're doing. Yeah. We believe... We're, we just know that it's a fabulous sport. And quite often I, people say to me, oh, you, what if you get injured? And Well, what if you get injured? Mm. In any sport you can be injured. Mm. So, I mean, you learn all those skills when you're, you're being taught. But um, it's just, as you say, Debbie, it's determination, conviction, passion. And it's, it's it, it, sometimes I reflect and I, it's just the right thing to do. Yeah. Like it's quite, like women playing footy, for mm-hmm. me, for the attention that it gets, yeah. it's just the right thing to do. Like it's you just go back sport. and look at the stats and you yeah. go, well, why is business, why is the AFL so surprised that girls want to play footy? Why are they so surprised yeah. that yeah. they want to watch it? Mm. It's in our lounge rooms every single weekend yeah. and people are surprised that women want to play. Yeah. I think that sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, is amusing. Well, let me put to you something that I've heard in discussing this idea with people. Some people have said, it wasn't the women who made this happen. It was actually the blokes who let the women play. So what's let, going on here? Let the women play. Oh, my goodness. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... So it was it was something you had to break through a ceiling to make happen? Or were at some point the men just going to let you do it? I mean, to what extent did you have to make this happen? I find the men most respectful. I mean, I've been nothing but support. Mm. From my I think it's important, colleagues. and I think it's important that you have strong male voices as well. Mm. It's really important. I think it was just getting to those strong male voices. 
because we needed them to actually support. Mm. I don't like the fact that someone says, oh, it was the men letting the, the women play. I, I think that's a bit condescending. It's and not I think a that's, privilege. You know, it's a right, Debbie. Exactly. It's a right. If a woman chooses to play football, AFL football, it's her right. Just like it was back for me back in the 50s. It was my right, but I wasn't able to take it any further. Women today can take it much, much further. They can become professional athletes and they can make a career and a decent living out of it. And that's how it should be. Mm. It should be fair on both sides. In almost all forms of change, you need people who are going to champion the change. Mm. And the the champions generally are the people who have the established power. And in this case, in most instances, it was men. They're Mm. the ones who run the commission. So you were reliant on men to help you get this to happen, weren't you? Mm. You know, I've never been concerned about having to deal with men because I've come from an industry where it's male-dominated. It was the last bastion of male dominance in the building industry. So it's never bothered me. I I enjoy working with men. I I enjoy the the challenge, if you want to call it a challenge. And I just really haven't had a, a problem dealing with the men. I've found them to be very supportive of everything that I've tried to do, with the exception of one person, but then uh, that's history. But uh, I just want to move forward. I want to progress this league. I want to see our women successful. I want to see them on the big screen and the men and women complimenting each other because it's the greatest um, sport in the world as far as I'm concerned. I just wish I was 50 years younger, that I could play the game myself because you wouldn't stop me. What are the next big challenges then in the implementation of the Women's League? I think one of the biggest challenges we'll have is taking the girls from an amateur sport to a semi-professional sport. So what's going to happen just by them pulling on an AFL jumper is a sense of responsibility. And you're going to have some girls that um, Daisy Pearce and Katie Mm. Brennan prepare well. They understand that they've been in this space for some time. Mm. But, you know, we're going to be drafting 80 girls from Victoria to make up four teams and their education or their understanding or how they behave on social media all needs to be looked at because mm-hmm. number one, that'll affect their brand, their brand personally, but also the club's brand. So I think mm-hmm. that's going to be a challenge. And the other one is, is we've set the bar really high because we've had the best 50 players come in, playing in the Hanson Harneman Cup. Now we've divvied, divvied all those players yeah. up to other teams. So people have this expectation that it's going to be like the Channel 7 match where it was mm. high end and will be good. But the reality is, is that we had to split the talent up and move it across mm-hmm. eight, eight different teams. So um, people's expectations, we might not meet as, as much as what we'd like. Mm-hmm. But the um, coaches that have been appointed at the various clubs now, Debbie, are really top-notch. And I think they will be able to train our young women and give them all the skills that they're going to need. But as you say, it's going to take a little while. Mm-hmm. And we must be patient. As I said, we must, be get, must get it right. Mm-hmm. I suppose the AFL's been very strategic in doing this and bringing it forward because the threat has always been. And in fact, I think, Susan, at some point you reminded the AFL of this, that There's always the risk from other codes in snapping up Mm. young women athletes who want to play Mm. a team sport like football. And so in a sense, this drove the AFL's decision to bring it forward. I don't think we can afford to give any more free kicks to any rival codes. Um, It's, uh, I mean, sport is just wonderful. If we can, as I always go on about getting kids off couches and putting all the electronic stuff away and getting fit and healthy and learning all about teamwork and camaraderie and it's just all so important for the culture uh, living in this great country so yes you're quite right about that yes it's um i i just get so excited about women's sport i get lost for words sometimes so. 
Would you sum up what you've done as being, as well as the creation of a National Women's League, you've made a real blow against discrimination on the sports field? I think what I'm starting to see, given I'm working at Clubland, is there has been the girls that have the opportunities to play the game, but there's all these other opportunities that are opening Mm. up. So, you know, the conversations that this competition has allowed me to have with the guys who are in the footy department now is fantastic. So, you know, we're talking things about, you know, we're in there with the the main recruiter at Melbourne Footy Club and we're talking about how we recruit and then we talked about what are some of the challenges and we're like, well, what happens if someone gets pregnant, you know, and and it just never would have crossed their world. I mean, that's a very simplistic example. But what I'm saying is it's created a platform for, number one, really positive conversations Mm -hmm. and number two opportunities. So mm-hmm. we've opened up opportunities where um, there's uh, more coaching roles, more umpiring opportunities, mm-hmm. more administration opportunities. Yeah. And I actually think that this has also, um, you know, had a, a great impact on women in sport. I mean, AFL is such a big sport in Australia, mm-hmm. particularly Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Having women, uh, a women um, national league now is, is something that ha- is really fantastic for women in sport. Mm, I agree. I think you've said it all. Sorry. It's yeah, <laughs> all right. You said it beautifully. Yeah. Well, to both of you, thank you very much. Thank Thanks you. for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us, yes. Debbie Lee of the Melbourne Football Club and Susan Alberti, the Vice President of the Western Bulldogs. Change Agents is a collaboration between The Conversation and the Swinburne Leadership Institute and Swinburne University's Department of Media and Communication. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or listen on SoundCloud. Production Heather Jarvis and Sam Wilson. I'm Andrew Dodd. See you next time for Change Agents.